Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. Today's guest is someone who was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis within days of having her initial symptoms. Jessie Ace is the host of Disabled to Enabled podcast, and I'm so happy to have her here. Welcome, Jessie. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you here. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. Ditto. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from and what you do. Sure. So um, I am from Derbyshire in the UK, big up the UK. And I'm a podcast host of the Disabled to Enabled podcast, which is pretty awesome. I'm also a writer and illustrator for the biggest MS charities worldwide and writer for the magazines as well, which is really pretty awesome. So I'm going to be sure to plug my episode from the podcast. So make sure to check that out. And we'll be sure to put that into the show notes so people can have a listen. That is so let's dig right in. You woke up on the last day of university and your left side of your body was paralyzed. Can you walk us through the onset of your multiple sclerosis symptoms and what it was like to be diagnosed at such a young age? Yeah, sure. So it was totally weird. Okay, so I was perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. And then, like you say, I woke up this last on the last day of university, typically, um, with a paralyzed left side. And I was like, what the hell is this? This is crazy. Why is it done this? But I put it down to stress because I'd been working so hard on my degree. And I'd also set up a business in my second year as well as an illustrator. So I was like working so hard so I just thought it was that so I being me I just put it off for a week as you do and it got to a week later and my boyfriend was like look you still can't feel your left arm or leg this is a bit weird you really need to go to the GPs so I was like Ugh, okay fine whatever and um, so he dragged me down there and the, the doctor was like literally thought I'd had something called a hemiplegic migraine which I'd never heard of I'd never had a migraine that I knew of at that time so I was like, what the heck is hemiplegic migraine? And she basically said it was a, an area of localized weakness in the body and that it will come back in a few weeks time. So I was like, ah, that's fine then. That's probably just been stressed like I thought. And I kind of went to my boyfriend. And I was like, ah, I told you it was nothing. It's fine. Little did I know that all of that would change within the next hour of her saying that to me, which is crazy. So I'd literally got back home from the GPs and she rang me back and she said, look, I've had a chat with my colleague she thought that you could have actually had a stroke and I should have sent you to A&E. So kind of want you to go to A&E. I'm going to leave you a letter in reception, come and pick it up, take it to A&E and then, you know, like get it checked out kind of thing. What's A&E? Oh, sorry. Uh, like emergency room, the ER. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I forget. I'm, I'm British. Um, <laughs> <laughs> American controversy. <laughs> yeah. So she told me to go over to the ER where they did like every test on me that I'd only ever seen on Grey's Anatomy. And I, I was obsessed with Grey's Anatomy. It's like the best program ever <laughs> for that. Um, so yeah, and I hadn't really heard of any of these things. And I didn't know, 
I'd actually never been in a hospital other than to visit someone, <laughs> which sounds really crazy. But yeah, but they admitted me eventually. After, I was there for like four hours, so they had to admit me. And they put me on this. this all on the same day that you're going to the GP for the first time. Yeah, totally. Okay. I was like, this is the craziest day ever. Like I planned that night because it was the last day of university. I'd planned to like take all my work in and then just sit, watch Coronation Street, which is like a soap opera, and just like do nothing and chill out. So I actually ended up spending that on a stroke ward surrounded by like six or seven other ladies that were 70, 80 years old, shouting and screaming. Some of them had dementia, some of them had Alzheimer's. I was like, oh my God, I'm just like this tiny little 22 year old. I say tiny because I was severely underweight at the time. So I was really, really tiny, really fragile looking. And um I made friends with the person that brought around the tea and cake. He was like my best friend in those three days I was in hospital, which is cool. I don't know if you have that in America. Do you have that in America? No. No? Absolutely not. (laughs) Maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. (laughs) So I had like MRI scans and CT scans and blood tests. And there was even someone that came and did physio on me at like midnight one night which was really strange. And then on the last day that I was there, I was eating apple pie and custard, <laughs> which is like my favorite pudding in the world. It's amazing. And I saw my neurologist over the other side of the ward and he was holding this clipboard and he was kind of going through all these notes and things. And I saw him mouth to the nurse next to him. Um, like he looked over at me and he kind of mouthed to the nurse, I'll go over when she's finished. And at that point I was like, oh my God. And like everything just... Oh, completely shut down in me. Like the fear just washed over me. I couldn't eat anything. And I just kind of pushed it away. And I was like, I'm done. Just come and tell me now and get it over with. Did you have any ideas at that point what you thought it was going to be? No, I had no idea whatsoever. He could have came over to tell me I had like a brain tumor or something. I've got no idea. So he walked over to me, uh, pulled the curtain around my bed and sat on the end of my bed. And he, he looked at me and he just like, look, uh, Jesse, I think we know what it is, but we want to do one more test to confirm it. Uh, we think it's something called multiple sclerosis. And I was like, oh, okay. He was like, do you know what that is? I was like, no, not a clue. What the, what the heck is that? And like, I was trying to fight back all the tears that were trying to get out of my face. But all I could think of was wheelchairs, being in a wheelchair, you know, not being able to run after my kids in the park someday when I actually had kids and yeah, it was the scariest time. It really was. And and then he said the words that I had never expected. And this was the best thing for you to do now is to go home, Google it, find out more about it for yourself. And if you've got any questions, kind of just kind of find them online, basically. What? Yeah. A doctor told you <laughs> to Google things? Yeah, he told me to Google things. So did they do one more test to sort of confirm that? Yeah, the test was a lumbar puncture. It's like the most delightful thing in the world. Um, not really. What is that? So basically, you you have to lie flat on a bed, and they extract some of your cerebral spinal fluid. I think that's what it's called, anyway. So they basically take this massive needle and get fluid out of your back between the two vertebrae. I think that's right. I'm not sure, but yeah, all I know was it really blooming hurt, to be honest. Okay, so they confirm that you have MS. They tell you to go home and Google your condition. And then what? I mean, how did you know how to navigate or what this meant for your life? Well, exactly. Exactly. So then from that point on, I had four months between that point and meeting an MS nurse slash neurologist. 
I can't quite remember which one of them came first, but they were both kind of four months apart kind of thing. And in that time, I literally just went through complete depression. Like I literally thought my life was over, which was like, sounds really dramatic now, but I had no idea. And going from being a perfectly healthy person to three days later, suddenly being disabled. I mean, I was like, well, I feel like the same person that I was. I don't quite understand what's going on. So yeah, it was super scary. And obviously when I went online, I found every negative story that there is. And during that time, I became like, just, I went out of my mind with panic and with worry because I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't have any answers to all of these questions that kept coming in my head. And yeah, every kind of site that I came across online, it was just, it either didn't relate to me because the person who wrote whatever it was, was further along in their diagnosis or they were older. And every story that came up on Facebook was like really negative and about every symptom going that just seemed really, really scary. You know, it's like people who were waking up blind and things. And I was like, oh my God, is that going to happen to me? I've got no idea. So yeah, absolutely out of my mind in that point, to be honest. So what happened at that four month mark when you found this doctor slash nurse that became, I assume, someone that was valuable to your health? So the first time I ever met my MS nurse, my MS nurse is lovely, don't get me wrong. The first time I ever met her, um, I remember sitting in her nurse's office and she was handing me leaflets and stuff about disability rights in the workplace and how to tell people that you're disabled. And I was kind of like, but I don't feel any different to what I did yesterday. I don't feel disabled. I don't need to go in a wheelchair or anything. Like, Because at that time, that's all I associated with disability is wheelchairs because there is literally an icon of a wheelchair on anything related to disability. So Definitely we'll get to that because I know it's a big thing for you. Yeah, totally. So she's sort of educating you on the disability components, but for you, you're feeling okay? Are you no longer feeling like your left side is paralyzed? Are you dealing with any other symptoms? Well, my left side is still paralyzed and it, it remained paralyzed for about six months after it happened. But all in, I, I didn't really consider that to be a disability. If you know, and it sounds really silly now, but like, I was just like, well, I've just got a numb arm and numb leg, like it's fine. But to anybody else, they're like, no, Jess, that, that is quite serious. So yeah, it was a bit... Um, a bit of a, a worrying time, to be honest. I don't think it helped with her giving me all of that information because it just kind of bombarded me. And yeah, so I went to her with like a million questions, obviously. And she she did her best to answer them, mostly. And then obviously when I saw my neurologist, he went through my MRI scans with me. My mom was there at the time. My boyfriend, now husband, was there as well. And he was talking about all these lesions and things on my brain. And I was like, I've got no idea what this is. I don't understand. Just kind of feel like really overwhelmed. And then he talked about treatment. And that freaked the hell out of me, to be honest. Um, He basically held up his hand and he said, look, these are the treatments that are available at the moment, each finger representing a treatment. And they're kind of in like the order of how effective they are. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, I suggest you go with this one. And he pointed to one of his fingers. And I was like, okay, sure. I've got no idea what's going on right now. Um, So he basically signed me up for an injectable treatment. And before I knew it, I was sat in my living room with this nurse guy who was lovely, teaching me how to inject myself. And I was like, I was normal, like, not so long ago. This is really weird. So, yeah, (laughs) 
it was a very overwhelming kind of time, to be honest. What made you go forward with exactly what his suggestion was? Did you feel like you didn't really know what else to do or how to advocate for yourself at that point? No, definitely not. I mean, like, I was under the impression that he would know more than I would and things like that. I thought he'd know what's best for me. I didn't really understand the whole idea of advocacy back then. I didn't really understand that I could actually say to him, look, I don't really want to go on an injectable treatment. Is there not another option? Because I was 22 and I was scared and I was literally just wanting to get out of that office because it was horrendous. So yeah, I was just like, okay, well, you know best. So I'll just do it and I'll, yeah, I'll just get on with it and do it really. And so did you do that for a long time? Are you still doing those injections? So I managed for about just over a year on them. And truth be told, I actually couldn't do a single one myself. (laughs) I was talking about this the other day, actually. So basically, the nurse that came basically helped me to do my first one. And he gave me like a thinner needle as well than what the normal one was. So yeah, and after that first one, I actually got really scared of pressing the button on the machine, which was really just not helpful. And it's a really kind of weird idea, to be honest. So yeah, my poor boyfriend, now my husband, like I say, he at the time had to literally do all of them for me because I would have a panic attack every single time. And it took, like I say, over a year before I could go on to another treatment. And was this I, every day that you were doing this? So I was doing this three times a week. Okay. Yeah, for over a year. And and every time I did it, it was severely painful, really, really painful. I can't describe how painful it was because the idea of this particular treatment was that it went into the subcutaneous layer, which is the layer between uh, your skin and the muscle. So you're supposed to have this fatty layer. But at the time, I was like severely underweight and very, very, very thin. So I literally had no fat on me for it to go into. And it was just going straight into muscle, I think, which is why wow. it hurt And it was basically like, it felt like a really, really strong acid. So if you've ever like cut your finger or or anything, you've got like lemon juice in it or vinegar in it, that's probably like one millionth of the pain that I probably felt like that's... Every single time. Every single time, which is why I literally had a panic attack every time. And I'd wake up and I'd be dreading getting through the day because I knew what happened at the end of it. This horrible injection was at the end of it, so... Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, like this particular treatment has worked for other people and they have known other people that have been on it for years and years and years. And it's been fine for them. But for me in particular, it just was not working. So it sounds like you transitioned to other treatments. What were they or are they? So I went on something called Tecfidera, which is a tablet or a capsule that I take twice a day. And people didn't really understand when I first went on this tablet that I was actually happy to go on it because they said, oh, you're going to have to take tablets for the rest of your life. That's awful. And I was like, yeah, but I know the alternative now and this is far better, you know? (laughs) So yeah, I did not mind at all. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P, an online counseling service that matches you with a licensed professional therapist. No matter where you are in the world, BetterHelp lets you schedule video and phone sessions with your therapist or even text them. Not only is it convenient, but it's also affordable. BetterHelp's therapists specialize in many different issues from depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, self-esteem, and more. 
I've talked with many guests about the importance of therapy, and it's something I believe everyone can benefit from. It's so valuable to be able to talk to someone with an informed outsider's perspective. With BetterHelp, you can have these conversations at your own pace through a secure online platform and with a counselor you love and who gets you. It's not self-help, it's BetterHelp. Made Visible listeners can get 10% off their first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com backslash made visible. That's betterhelp.com slash made visible. And now back to the show. It's amazing that after going through some of these challenges and trying these different things that clearly are physically painful and exhausting and stressful, that you're like excited to take pills. I could totally relate. Totally. So where are you at these days with your health? What kind of symptoms are you dealing with? Do you have a doctor that you're crazy about? You know, what does your life look like right now with MS? So right now I've got it to a stage where it is going really well, actually. And I've what really made it, I think, really manageable for me was the fact that I found this thing called the Miracle Morning, which is basically like a set kind of agenda for each morning that really, really helps you to be in the right mindset to get through the day. And it helps because I was doing things like affirmations where you tell yourself like, I am strong, I am focused, I am confident and things like that. So it's giving you a positive motivation first thing in the morning. And I also do things like gratefulness and visualization and journaling first thing as well, which really helps to just kind of stay present in the moment and not kind of be swamped down by symptoms all the time, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. What are those symptoms that you're dealing with though? So chronic fatigue is probably my biggest one. And alongside that is tingling, which nobody really understands either, but it's kind of like having pins and needles, but that point just before it. I mean, I don't really know how you'd describe that. So I have that head to toe all the time, every day, every minute, every hour, every day, which drives me mad. And then I also get weakness when I'm hot and I get pain when I'm cold. I'm clumsy. I forget my words all the time. And it's weird when you someone asks you this because you kind of like, you kind of expect someone to kind of reel them all off. But I actually forget them quite often, which sounds a really bit weird. But because they're so normal to me, I forget that they're not normal to other people. I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure many people listening can relate to that concept where it's just part of your daily life. And you're like, oh, other people don't deal with this. Or just the fact that it's part of your norm, you know, whether good or bad, certain aspects of it just become so part of who you are. So since you graduated college, what have you done career wise? And how has your health impacted your career if it has? It definitely has, for sure. (laughs) So when I was going back to uni, when I was on the last day, and I was having to make all these different things because my degree was a design craft degree, but I actually focused on the patterns that I was putting onto these things. So because of that, um, I had this like crazy idea at the time that I wanted my illustrations to kind of take over the world and to be in everybody's houses and to be on everybody's stuff, basically. So you know, like the patterns that you see on different things like books or laptop covers or or things like that. I wanted to be the person that designed all of that stuff. So when I first woke up and lost the left side of my body I was like oh my gosh this is insane but luckily I'm right-handed so that's fine but then a couple of weeks after that I actually had I guess my second relapse that you could probably call it 
and my right hand went as well. So I had two hands that were not working. And that shocked the hell out of me, if I'm honest, because I thought I've studied for this long to get to this point and now I can't actually draw. I can't hold a pencil or anything. So I was like, wow, I'm going to have to completely rethink everything in my life at the moment. So um, I actually went into fashion to start off with, which is really funny because I'm not a fashionable person at all. So I was designing the graphics in fashion, which was great because you could use a stylus that you can just kind of move around a board. So nobody actually knew that my hand wasn't working, which was great. And then after that, after I had had like a couple of different businesses, because I really wanted to work for myself rather than be, I've never wanted to be employed, if I'm honest, because I don't like people telling me where to be at a certain time and things like that. Sounds familiar. So yeah, I really wanted to work for myself. And I thought about when I was first diagnosed and all of those negative things that I found online. And I hated it. I really, really did. I didn't think it was helpful at all. So I kind of went on a mission to write some more blogs for these, you know, big MS charities that related to younger people, because there was no young voice on there that related to my issues, you know. And what kind of response have you gotten to that content? The response has been amazing. It really has. It's like I had comments saying, you know, thank God that someone's talking about this because nobody is. And I'd write blogs on things like getting married when you're really, really young and having the pressures of family and friends saying, oh, when are you going to start a family and all of that stuff? And you're like, but you don't understand. I've got a mess. I might not be able to have children. Like, this is awful. And especially things concerning like a disabled permit. Because when I first started to use my disabled permit, I was like, it was a horrendous experience because I got so many judgmental people (laughs) shouting at me in car parks for using this disabled permit because apparently I didn't look sick enough. Mm. I didn't look disabled enough. And that goes back to the whole wheelchair thing, wheelchair icon, which I just cannot stand. So, yeah. Yeah, Talk a little bit more about that because I think it's such an interesting thing that you're so determined about. okay I'll get my soapbox out now um I don't even know where to start like it's just it doesn't represent people with actual disabilities because people even who use wheelchairs it's like 80% of people who use wheelchairs don't quote me on these figures by the way these facts and figures because yeah um but (laughs) I did read somewhere there was about 80% of people that use a wheelchair that can actually walk and can actually you know do other things other than needing a wheelchair they might not necessarily need a wheelchair every day and I thought you know there are so many people with invisible illnesses and chronic illnesses that need the support of the blue badge the blue permit who aren't actually in a wheelchair so why is there a picture of a wheelchair it drives me insane You know, it's interesting. I was on the subway the other day and my dad pointed out to me when we were looking at all the upcoming stops and he said to me, what's with that little uh, wheelchair icon? And I said, huh, it's only on a few stops. So number one, seeing the wheelchair icon. Number two, of like 20 stops on the train, only four of them were wheelchair accessible, which I just thought was insane. This is New York City. We're not in the middle of nowhere. But as a, you know, someone with a design background, what do you envision that icon looking like? Um, it's funny you should say, because I've been working with a team of the MS Society in the UK, 
And there's this girl called Grace, which is she's amazing. She's 14 and she's got Crohn's and she's actually redesigned the logo. She's been in touch with the design team. They've redesigned the logo and she got in touch with her MP and her MP is now like campaigning to use this symbol instead of what's out there already. And I actually remember ringing up the Department of Work and Transport in the UK. And I literally said to them, why are you using a wheelchair when most people that use a wheelchair don't actually need to use a wheelchair all the time? I said it's not representing people with invisible illnesses or chronic illnesses that don't need a chair. And they, they basically said that because of Brexit and things, you know, there's not much point in us changing it because people outside of the UK won't recognise it as a disabled symbol. So I just thought it was ridiculous. But what I did actually realise as well is that with the term disabled actually comes a mindset. And it comes with a mindset that says, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that. I mean, by dictionary definition, the dictionary definition of disabled is like lacking of ability or not able to do this or not able to do that. And I thought that's so negative. I cannot stand that. And I thought, you know, if you give it a more positive title, why can't we be called enabled rather than disabled? I love that. And that's a great segue into your podcast, Disabled to Enabled. Can you talk a little bit more about why that word is so important to you and why that's the name of the podcast? Yeah, totally. And my podcast is called the Disabled to Enabled podcast because when I was first diagnosed and I was first labeled disabled, it didn't fit with me. I just felt like it didn't represent me at all. So I started to say to people, no, 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 I'm not disabled. I am enabled because I am I'm taking a more empowering approach and I'm, you know, now I know what the term means. I'm now advocating for myself. Um, it's just a far more positive way to think, I think. And, and it's more of a, we're kind of fighting this illness every day, you know? Absolutely. So what have you learned about being enabled from conversations from your podcast guests? So I've learned that it is all about mindset and to slow down the progression of your disease. And I'm not a medical professional, just putting it out there, but I have noticed that people who are more positive about their illness and how they think about their illness, they are significantly better off than the people that consider themselves, you know, lacking ability and, you know, accepting the title of being disabled. So the people that I've had on my podcasts have been like Paralympians who have won gold medal after gold medal. I've got no idea how they did it, but it's amazing. And I've had um, marathon runners and like famous radio DJs with mums that have got MS and, and things like this. And I've really learned that this is a community. This is a really, really strong community. And we have to be a strong community because it's invisible and nobody gets it but us, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the big thing with that is that if we're not advocating for ourselves, how can anyone help us? So exactly. how do you explain to friends and family members and people in your life what you're going through when your symptoms are so invisible? Yeah, well, I kind of, I use these things called kind of like bridges. So you kind of take everyday objects and you say, it's kind of like when this does this. So um, my best example is the phone charger. So you'd say like, you know, if you have a phone charger that's fraying and all the wires are sticking out, those wires are going to get damaged really easily, number one. And number two, the electricity is not going to go from the plug to your phone. It's not going to charge properly because the wiring is damaged, the casing is damaged around the wires. And that's kind of what happens in MS. It's the myelin around the nerves, the protective layer, if you like, gets broken down by the body because the body thinks it's a virus. 
which is just crazy. So comparing it to things that they already know, I found helps a lot. Do you think that they get it when you give those analogies? Uh, No, probably not. But it makes me feel better because I feel like I've explained it in a way that they could possibly understand. I think it's just a lot easier as well to say, and I, I don't tell people about all of my symptoms because they'd probably just think I'm a crazy person. But like the other day I was actually in Bucharest in Romania um, going to this event called MS Sessions, which is absolutely amazing. And it's run by a team of, it's run by a charity that is specifically for young people diagnosed with MS. And they are amazing. And it was so great to kind of be in a room with so many people that just get it. It's just crazy. And everybody was kind of falling over and tripping over their words and like dropping cutlery and things. I was just like, oh my God, I found my people. This is insane. So yeah. So I think it's really important as well to find your own community. And if you can't find a community, you make a community. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that because I keep thinking back to that first appointment that you had where you were immediately handed, you know, paperwork and information saying, hey, go Google this stuff. And at that age and that time and lack of experience, you didn't really have the ability or know-how to advocate for yourself. And here you are years later being such an advocate for people living with MS. So Mm -hmm. if you were talking to someone who may have some of the symptoms that you were dealing with, what would you tell them to do and how to help them make decisions for themselves? That's a really good question. Um, And it's kind of hard as well, because I think when you ask right at the start of your journey, it is hard to know what to do. But I think I think it's really important to say that whatever you're feeling is valid. And you're not going crazy. It is just a symptom of something. And it's really important to go to your doctor and get it checked out, see what they say. And quite often, invisible illnesses take years and years and years to get a diagnosis. It's actually quite rare that it was in three days like mine, <laughs> to be honest. I realize that was quite a rarity now. But I think it's really important to do your research, find out everything that's online, everything that you can, and go and present that to your doctor as well and go and say, like, look, I've looked online, it could be this, this, this. You know, it could be this illness, it could be that illness. And the thing to remember about invisible illness in particular is that they do quite often overlap. And it's very, very hard for even a doctor sometimes to actually diagnose you with the right one. So I think being patient, doing your research, and finding a community that can help give you some kind of background knowledge would be really beneficial. Are there any specific resources or communities that you want to shout out? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're a young person diagnosed with MS, then, you know, you can come to uh, shift.ms. They are the particularly the young person's group. In the US, there is the National MS Society, which is cool. If you go on the msconnection.org, blog that they do as well you can search jesse ace and you can search all my blogs which hopefully you'll find helpful (laughs) Um, there's also like multiple sclerosis today which takes a more uh, scientific kind of view on it quite often and then there's a few of blogs that i've written on there as well which hopefully you could find helpful and if you're diagnosed with any sort of chronic illness you can come and join my group which is the enabledwarriors.com uh, sorry, .org even, go and take the five-day challenge that I've got on there as well. That's really helpful. Um, because one of the things that people never told me when I was first diagnosed is that stress is a huge, huge factor in chronic illness because it exasperates every symptom that you have. So managing your stress and managing anxiety and things, anxiety was a huge one for me. Gosh, 
<laughs> since I've managed that, it's actually managed my symptoms a lot better. And I've, I'm able to now to live in the present, which is just so much better. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. So how can people learn more about you and Disabled to Enabled? So you can go to disabledtoenabled.com which is my blog site and all my podcasts are on there too. You can also go to www.jessieace.com and you can go and read like everything that I do and see all the illustrations and things too. Amazing. We'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes. Thanks so much, Jessie. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com and follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Grisillo for the design.